All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, presented by The Nation Network. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Oilers Nation Radio, episode 121. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Bagnuck, along with Rick Nation Dan and Tyler Yaremchuk. Today, we've got a very special guest joining us on the podcast. Well, not today. We talked to him a couple of days ago. So if you hear the Chris Versteeg interview that's coming up in a little bit, just know we talked to him a couple of days ago. So if some of the things he says are a couple of days old or sound that way, because they are. Deal? Deal. Cool. We did our best. We did our we best. Tried. We did great. As always, I want to start off the podcast by taking our friends at Sherwood Ford out in beautiful Sherwood Park, Alberta. Follow them on Twitter at Sherwood Ford and on Instagram at Sherwood Ford underscore the giant. It is going to get cold here in the city this weekend. It's been beautiful, but we're looking at the tundra. So if you haven't, you have not considered winterizing your vehicle yet, it is the time to do it. Head to Sherwood Ford, get an oil change, some new tires, new whippies. As we mentioned last week, if you guys are listening to this at Ford, Ford, we all want matching Broncos. The 1987 Ford Escorts were not going to happen. You guys looked. You couldn't find them. Fine. I guarantee you will find four Broncos. Four dudes, four Broncos. That's how it goes. Sherwood Ford on Twitter and Instagram. Go check out the Bronco that they are going to give us. Probably not. Wanting to start off, as we always do, with our Sherwood Ford giant question of the week, Mr. Tyler Uremchuk, hit me. The Oilers' leader in ice time this year is Miko Koskinen because he's played every single game. So that's where we're going for today's Sherwood Ford giant question. It's been, you know, maybe you could describe it as up and down. But as a whole, these five games we've seen from Miko Koskinen, how would you rate his season so far out of 10? 
10 being sensational, perfect, I love him. One being he's garbage and should go on waivers. So let's look at some stats here. So five games. Yep. Five games played for Miko Koskinen. 171 shots against, 16 goals against, a goal against average of 3.24, save percentage of 906. And as you mentioned, he's basically played every minute of every game. Mr. Nation, Dan, your first thoughts on the big man, Miko Koskinen. Okay, so I was going to give him an eight and a half. Out of? Out of 10, because I do think he's done really well. I'm subtracting a point because of the 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 typical, you know, the thing that he gets ragged on all the time, which is that he has one soft goal a game. So he's a 7.5 for me. But then I'm bumping him back up to an 8.5 because the league's waiver rules are the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And he shouldn't be in this position. But I really, truly feel like outside of some defensive, just absolute gaffes, he's been... He's been arguably the best player on the team for the for the stretch of the five games. So I, I'm going to say 8.5. I've been really happy with what he does, what he's done for this team. And, you know, in spite of, I think if Mike Smith was getting those give-ups and those giveaways in front of him, we would have had a, you know, had a pissed-off goalie behind us. Nico Koskinen just kind of took it in stride and continues to perform at a high level for us. Rick may be talking from a dragon attack on today's podcast, so we're going to go to him for his early season rankings on Miko Koskinen. There it is. There is a little bit of construction going on in the building here. I guess when times are slow, you got to put your money towards something. So uh, uh, when it comes to Koskinen, uh, back and forth, boys. It's back and forth. You know, you want to give him something good because they really can't blame anything on him. But at the, at the end of the day, if you look at the season and what you're feeling on the season, uh, you're not feeling too 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 great about it so there has to be some blame in there as well um yeah i'm gonna give him like uh somewhere in a 7.5 7.7 <laughs> type of range uh nothing you can blame him too much for but uh dude when you're less than 500 right now and you're giving out five goals a game that's all you can do it's like such an exclamation point on everything you say because it's just like Rrr. it's just that everything that Rick says now has an ominous tone. So I'm only going to ask him really negative questions so that he can come from like a a dark side type of perspective. Uh, so it's, I think that was a seven point five out of Rick on on Mika. Yeah, I think seven point five, sir. Seven errs out of five. Tyler, your ranking on early season Miko Kaufman. Uh yeah, you know what? I I think some good points were made there for me. Like, if I'm going to give him an 8 or a 9 out of 10, it's because he'd been winning them hockey games. And he really hasn't won them a hockey game. But, in my opinion, he really hasn't costed them a game at all either. So he's getting between the pipes, he's playing a ton, and he's giving them an honest chance to win. And I think the feeling in that locker room right now should be, if we play decent defensively and good offensively, Miko's going to give us a chance to win. So when you factor in his workload... Combine that with sort of, you know, at times some up and down play and also the fact that he has made some timely saves. I'm going to give him just an even seven out of 10. And I I think that's a good grade here. Like I said, giving you a chance to win every time he's between the pipes, but not at the point where you could say he's, you know, quote unquote, stealing you hockey games. So seven out of 10 is my answer. Just to wrap this up, I'm going to also give Nico a seven. I think that he's made a lot of stops. Uh, Jason Greger on Oilers Nation, I retweeted his graphic. He basically put all the North Division goalies all in one tasty little graphic. So that's from today's GDB. If you look at it, 
Koskinen, again, he has more starts than everybody else, but he also is getting way more pucks shot at him than everyone else. So just to compare, he's got the most starts of any goalie in the North Division. Uh, Markstrom leading the way with a 9.35 save percentage. Koskinen is in third with the 9.06. Again, Markstrom, though, only faced 93 shots. Koskinen already at 171. So I'm going to say I'm also giving him a 7 out of 10. The thing that bothers me, Dan brought it up, the one ugly goal a game, I think that if those come early in the night, that can be really deflating. Uh, in game one against Toronto, which was Wednesday, that goal he let up on Matthews just can't go in. It can't go in. That was a comedy of errors. Cassian got, was weak on the boards, gave the puck up. Matthews took it, does what he does. He fires from everywhere, and it got through, and it shouldn't have. So I think a 7 out of 10 is fair. He's holding them in games, like Tyler said. He's given them a chance to win, but there's room to improve. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. So Nico Koskinen is looking pretty decent, and we need him to look good because he's our only option right now. I was just going to say, yeah, if you started the season out knowing that Nico Koskinen was going to be our starter for the, for the first five games, and you could have been told his effort going into this, and we'd all give him, what, from 7 to 8.5 as a rating, I think we'd all be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I just think that, you know what, I actually like he's getting his at-bats in. I don't think that he should be playing every single night. Obviously, Tyler talked about wearing out the goalie early. Uh, we've talked about that a couple of weeks in a row now. But I think that under the circumstances, the fact that they don't really have a backup goaltender that Dave Tippett trusts in Stuart Skinner right now, he's doing his thing and he's giving him a chance to win. Uh, we're going to preview tonight's rematch against Toronto a little bit later, but Nico's doing all right. If you had to give one quick thing on what he needs to improve, for me, it's eliminating that weak goal. Um, I don't know how you do that, but that's the obvious one. What's one thing that he needs to improve? Dan, I'm going to start with you. For me, it's just kind of the, it's the roaming that he does. It's not, it, it's not a huge thing, and it hasn't burned him yet, but there is some plays where he's just like, where are you going, buddy? You know, sliding out of the crease and, and the puck's behind the net kind of thing. Um, I mean, I'm obviously not a goaltending expert, but but for me, that's when my heart rate skyrockets. So, yeah, it's when he's floating around a little bit. Uh, Tyler, one thing that Miko can improve on. I think for a big man, he would benefit from maybe just being a little bit quieter in the crease. Like, I think he gets in trouble where, you know, Dan said roaming. For me, sometimes he almost overcommits to a puck, and he's sliding. He's out at the top of the crease. He's laying on his back. He's on his stomach. He's flopping around like a fish, and it's kind of like, you know, when you're as big as he is and you take up so much net, sometimes quieter is a little bit better. So there have been times where he's gotten a little bit scrambly and out of position. I wouldn't mind seeing him, you know, just quiet things down a little bit and play more of a calm game between the pipes. Rick, fighting off the Dragons, what does Koskinen have to approve of? Well, I'd like to be able to sit here and disagree that everyone has the exact one thing that needs to be done, but I think there, unfortunately, there are a couple areas, and one of them has to be shots up high. Unfortunately, they're one of the tallest guys out there uh, as a goaltender. He still seems to get beat by shots just under the crossbar somehow. Um, that glove hand still seems to be a bit of an issue for him. So um, as much as I know what you guys are talking about, we kind of getting out of position and whatnot, uh, I still think it's the, the high shot that, that gives him the most problem. Hard, it's hard on to argue. And for me, one thing I noticed, especially against Montreal, they were shooting for the glove side a lot. Glove side high, glove side high all the time for Montreal. Uh, changing gears today, or changing gears a little bit, I want to talk about another guy who, in my opinion, is struggling for the team right now. Again, we're in the early going. As we're recording this, there's only five games in the books. I want to talk about Zach Cassian. 
Zach Cassian right now, he's playing with Connor and Nuge on the first line, but he does not look like the guy who, first of all, merited the contract he signed last year, nor one that is deserving of that spot on Connor's right side. I'm going to start with Rick on this one, get the Dragons going. What's going on with Zach Cassian? I, I don't know, man. It's disappointing. It's been a carryover of exactly what we've seen in the uh, in the playback or the play return there in July or August, whatever the hell that was. Um, he just does He seems to be a, a bit of a flat tire. Like you notice him out there. He doesn't. He's doing little things here and there, but he don't. He doesn't try and make himself a part of the game. He doesn't seem to be as into it as he as he was. And I know there's a, there's got to be something to do with you know without the crowd in there that it's. It's kind of uh, zapped us some of that energy out of him, but he's got to find a way. Um, you're a veteran right now. You know what the team needs out of you, and that is exactly what they need, especially in a time when they can't score. Uh, you need to get out there and, and start banging bodies and bring a physical nature and try and bring up the uh, the the tempo off the, off the bench, and he's not doing it. So we're running into another issue uh, of another Milan Lucic 2.0 where, you know, it's he's kind of a two-pronged, um, asset to have that if he's not scoring, he brings a physical, or you know, if he's bringing a physical, he can back up the scoring. But he's doing not, none of it right now. So there's got to be someone better that you can put out on that right side right now. Tyler, what's going on with Zach Asian? It's just to me, it feels like he's just not engaged at all, and his head just isn't where you need it to be. And I'll give a bit of a long answer here, and I'll start by looking at a guy like Kyler Yamamoto. And you know, if the goals aren't coming for Kyler Yamamoto, he still brings the effort-based stuff that stuff that you love from him. He's going hard in the corners. He's crashing the net. He's forcing turnovers. And we're not seeing that from Cassian. And it's a similar problem that even Jujar Kara has, where if Kara moves his feet, puts in the effort, and starts playing physical, the offense comes. And for Cassian, like there, that second loss to Montreal, there was two times in the third period where he had a chance to just drill a defenseman on the forecheck. And he just did a little flyby and tried to lift his stick. And like, you know, if you're Zach Cassian and things are going great and you already have three hits in the game, maybe you got an assist or a goal, then okay, you want to fly by and just try to scoop the puck up a guy's stick, that's fine. But when you don't have a goal and you have maybe one or two big hits on the year, never mind on the game, you got to be more engaged physically. And, you know, like you got, like you said, he's the kind of guy where if the offense isn't there, you need him to be supplying energy and that physical presence and have the other team look up and go, oh shit, Zach Cassian's on the ice right now. I need to keep my head up. And the Oilers are just getting nothing from him. Like, I think the only the only noticeable plays I've seen from him so far are the hit on Josh Anderson and the pass to Darnell Nurse in the first game. Other than that, oh, and the, and the, the post, which again, isn't a positive at all. He, he has to bury those chances playing with Connor. So three times I've noticed Zach Cassian this year. And for three point whatever million, not good enough. Dan? Yeah, I, I want to look at the play-in, and, and he was honest about the play-ins afterwards and said, you know, that not having the crowd affects him a lot. Uh, Bag Milk, I think I think it was you that asked Versteeg in the interview, there's a little teaser for later, but uh, about, you know, not having the crowd and who does that affect the most. And, of course, Versteeg said, you know, exactly what we all know. For the third line and the fourth line grinder guys, the energy just matters more. They they need to get up to that extra level of, of intensity, and Cassian just isn't there. Um, but the problem and the more troubling thing for me is that it hasn't been there since he signed the contract, basically. Uh, it just feels like he found his way into the coach's doghouse. for t- Maybe it was for taking too many penalties. I don't know. But he just hasn't been the same player, and that's troubling because we've got three more years of this 
of this player, and here's a guy that you know he's supposed to be able to slot, able to play that grinder kind of role. For me, the other concerning part is you know that first that playoff run in 2017 when he first got here, that was great. Like that was fantastic, Zach Cassian to watch, and it got him the contract. And then what happened that first year of his contract? By November, they were he was being told he could look for a trade, and he wanted out. He was getting scratched, all that stuff. And then last year. Again, it's a contract year, and we saw the best of Zach Cassian. And now it's a bit of a disturbing trend because he got the contract, and once again, his play's starting to decline. So the concerning part for me is, is this maybe just a guy who knows how to bring it in a contract year, and outside of that, just just doesn't can't find that sort of will and that, that energy when there's not money on the line for him? Like, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but like that's kind of what we've looked at now twice with Zach Cassian as an oiler. It kind of reminds me of, if you're old enough to remember, when the Oilers signed Dustin Penner to his offer sheet and Matt Keith came out and said that that contract looked like a finish line for Dustin Penner as opposed to a starting point. And to me, the, the frustrating thing about Zach Cassian is I was at some of those games in the 2017 playoff run. I remember what he can do to the other team when he is on his game. I remember all of us losing our minds after he scored that big goal and had a moment face-to-face with a fan up against the glass. That's not the guy we're watching right now. And, okay, it's all fine and good to say that there's no crowd and that's affecting your game, but you're not the only one in that, in that position. You're not the only guy that doesn't have the crowd to get you motivated. And as you're going to hear in the Chris Prestige interview, he talks about having a fire within and having to find a way to do that. And for Zach Cassian, he's got a golden opportunity up on the on the right side with Connor McDavid and Nuge. There's not a better spot. I mean, maybe with, with Leon, but Yamamoto's there. There's not a better spot on this roster. And in my opinion, obviously, I don't know for sure. I don't know how Dave Tippett's thinking, but he has to be dangerously close to losing that spot right now. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Jesse Pugliarby is being groomed for that spot right now. I think it's earlier than they wanted to, but you're absolutely right, Beck Milk. It was like, I think that the leash is like one or two games left kind of thing. We're looking at uh, Zach Cassian's stats here. So he, he did he did miss the one game. He had a uh, he had a second child, which is great for him. But in the four games he did play, he has one assist. He's a minus two. He's got four shots on goal. And he's not really hitting. Last game against Toronto, and that was Wednesday now, he and Josh Archibald basically played more or less, give or take, a half minute or so, the same minutes in that hockey game. Josh Archibald, meanwhile, had six hits where Cassian had two. Archibald is finding a way to motivate himself and go out there and be a pest. I don't know why Cassian can't do it because, like I said, he's going to lose that spot. He's going to lose that spot. And if he's not playing with Connor, he is not the guy who's nearly as effective, nor does he merit a three-plus million-dollar contract. So I think the pressure's on. Anybody disagree that there has to be some pressure on Cassian right now, if not internally from Dave Tippett and the coaching staff? No, man, you got that contract out there. You got to earn it. And, uh, you know, I won't exactly put him in the same spot as Penner, but to me, Penner gave us more for what we were paying him, right? And you give Cassian comes out and gives me 25, 27 goals. I don't care if he hits anybody else this year, but he's not doing that. So we need that energy and he's not doing either. So yeah, he's got to do something or you got, or you got to put somebody else in his spot. And I think Dave Tippett has been more than fair with him so far. Like if it was, I mean, we saw we took Chris Russell out of the lineup after, I mean, Russell just had not as good of a training camp as Slater Cuckoo, right? Like, Tippett has benched some guys. Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones can be thrown in there as well. Now Alex Chason, who's coming out of the lineup. Cassian's been given the benefit of the doubt here, and I think hopefully that turnover on the Matthews goal 
the the minutes he got after that turnover that led to the Matthews goal was the best he's played all year. Hopefully that was the wake-up call he needed. Well, and I think the return of James Neal is also going to be important for him because that's another guy that, just like Jesse Pugliarvi, where I don't think Pugliarvi, they want to necessarily put him in that position just yet. James Neal can absolutely take that spot up on the top line if he has to. Yeah. So, you know, for Cassian, it's like it's time to put up and sh- or shut up tonight against Toronto and then into the weekend against Winnipeg. Speaking of the weekend, it is the Friday afternoon here at Edmonton, and it's going to be cold this weekend in the capital city. Maybe you want to stay home and get yourself some soup. Maybe you order some soup from our friends at skipthedishes.ca, or maybe a donair, maybe a burger, whatever tickles your taste buds on a fine weekend. Treat yourself. Treat yourself to a little bit of dinner or lunch or breakfast or maybe even all three from our friends at skipthedishes.ca. Uh Dan mentioned James Neal coming back into the lineup. Alex Chieson comes out. A little bit surprising, although I had to expect he was also going to be on a short leash as well. He was playing fourth-line minutes, getting a little bit of power play time. With and on chances on that PP1 throughout the first five games of the season. Tyler, I want to start with you. Your thoughts on swapping Neal for Chieson? Well, it's understandable. Completely the right move from Tippett. A, a little, you know, for Chase on that last game against Toronto on Wednesday, that was his best game of the season. He was, he finally had a pulse at five on five. He wasn't even great. He was just good at five on five. He didn't finish on the power play. Uh, Pouli Yarvi was on the ice for the only goal they scored. But Chase on had a decent game against Toronto on Wednesday. But for me, too little, too late, man. You had to bring that kind of effort through the first four games. And he deserves to lose his spot in the lineup and his spot on that top power play just he simply hasn't been good enough, and it's a results-driven business. And you can say, dependable veteran, maybe he's just getting off to a slow start like some other guys, but with Neil coming back in the lineup and Neil being healthy, it's a no-brainer for me that you put him back in for Chase on. Yeah, Dan, well, you, talked about, you talked about Neil. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's the annoying thing with Chase on, is that it's not like it's not like a player that has to come in and try and figure out his spot on this or in this organization. He did the power play role to, a, to perfection, and earned himself the contract in this spot on the team, and now he just can't seem to figure it out. He can't seem how to to figure out how to how to be in the right spot and take those shots and get those goals. So, so yeah, James Neal steps in, takes his spot, and now it's you know it's up to Chase on to work his ass off on the the taxi squad or in the in the uh, the popcorn alley group, and uh, yeah, come back onto this team. But for now, James Neal is a spot, and if he comes in shooting like he can. There's no chance that Chason takes that power play spot back from him. There's there's not a chance that Chason gets back in the lineup when you look at the depth on this team. Like this could yeah. kind of he might be sitting in the press box for a while. Is what I'm trying to say. I want to talk about James Neal really quickly before we get to the Chris Versteeg interview. I want to talk about James Neal on the power play because through five games so far, the Oilers' power play has not looked like what we're used to. It hasn't looked like the deadly force it was last year. It did score in uh, Wednesday's game against Toronto, which ended in an over 14 run. But I want to first start off with, A, what is wrong with the power play right now? And B, do you think James Neal can make a real difference slotting him in to that spot where Chason was, be it Neal or otherwise? Uh, Dan, I'm going to start with you. You were talking about Neal on the power play. Hit it. Dan is frozen. Dan is frozen. Dan, it's okay. Dan is frozen in time. We believe in you. Oh, you're back. There we I'm go. Sorry. The uh, the thing for me is just shots. It's just 100% shooting the puck. 
And that's not just on James Neal to come in and figure that out. It's on Tyson Berry. It's on Leon Dreisaitl. It's on all the guys on this power play to come out and just shoot the puck at the net. And even if you're not getting the goals coming from taking those shots, you're you're shifting that momentum and you're changing things. When you saw those first couple power plays against the Leafs, they honestly took like they took nothing away from them except the Leafs just burned two minutes of the clock. Like it was just it was pitiful to watch. The last few they started to come back on and, and obviously scored a goal with it. So so you look at that as a positive, but again, it's shooting the puck and it's shooting it a lot. And that's what this team does well when we're there screaming at them to shoot. So I think it's it's on uh, it's on the team to just shoot that puck. Rick, what's going on with the power play, and can James Neal help fix it? Uh, Neal will be a little bit of a help, but I don't see him being that much of a help. I don't see that spot being that much of a difference maker. Um, I think they're just they're just not moving out there as much. Um, passes aren't as crisp as you see a lot of passes that are supposed to go tape to tape or going tape to stick. Um, that throws off a lot of rhythm, right? You really can't move those. Those quick one passes that to, to get around an aggressive PK, um, it's not there when you're not making stick to stick passes. So it's just the it's off by a little bit. I don't expect it to last that long. Those guys out there are way too talented. Um, I do think that uh, Neil will help out a little bit around the crease, but I'm not expecting too much of a difference just by throwing him in there. Uh, they got to figure it out. They got to keep the puck moving. They got to move themselves. Don't let that uh, defense set up any any type of uh, any type of strategy in their own end. Keep the puck moving and get those shots on that. Tyler wraps up. For me, like when that power play is at its best, it's almost like those players are just so creative and so talented that they don't have to think. They just let their hockey instincts take over. They cycle the puck. They find a scoring chance, and a lot of the times they find the back of the net. And there's just been too many situations this year where. They're overthinking it. They're making mistakes that we don't see them make in years past. Like uh, against Montreal, passed a dry sidle in the first period on the power play. He's standing in between the two hash marks in the middle of the ice. And like, you're a 50 goal scorer. Rip that thing, man. But no, he tries a cute backhand pass. It gets broken up. No scoring chance out of it. And even in that last game, I think it was uh, a pass across to Nugent Hopkins that came across like, you know, maybe a quarter second too late. And then Nugent Hopkins held onto it for a quarter second too long. And they didn't really get a quality chance out of it. So I, right now, there's just something missing, and it's it, it's not humming as good as you'd like it to. Part of that might be, you know, Tyson Berry on the blue line. They're still adjusting to that right shot back there and adjusting to kind of what he likes to do with the puck on his stick. Chase on missed some good chances early, so I think James Neal coming back could help them score a little bit more, which will mask some of the other deficiencies we're seeing. And yeah, I, I, the other thing too... I think that's something that's difficult to practice. I think when you're going up against your own penalty killers and it's and you're practicing like that in training camp, it's hard to get your power play down. I think as the year goes on, they'll find their rhythm, and I'm I'm confident that they'll get in sync soon. I agree. I mean, I just think that they they're they're too good, and they just yeah. look out of rhythm. There was that. I mean, I talked about this on Real Life yesterday. Even I thought on Wednesday he did get a point, but news didn't look the same. He was double clutching on shots. He was kind of in the wrong spots he was bobbling pucks so it was just kind of like everybody's in that same spot right now and I still have a lot of hope for the power play maybe it doesn't get to historical levels from last year but I do think this is significantly better than the 11 or 12 percent whatever it's at as of this morning but maybe the lack of preseason and a condensed training camp had something to do with it huh maybe we should ask a former Stanley Cup champion how much that would affect a team's play in the early going. 
Huh? Tyler? Yes. Yes. Key up our interview, please. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Back on Oilers Nation Radio. Happy Friday, Oilers fans. And uh, we got a special guest joining us, former NHLer, Stanley Cup champion, over 600 NHL games and the pride of Lethbridge, Alberta. Chris Versteeg joining us on the pod. Chris, how's it going, man? How are you enjoying the fact that hockey's back? I'm good. I'm excited. I thought you guys were going to intro me with a ton of booze coming into this pod. So. <laughs> that's the that's uh, the elephant in the room, isn't it? For Oilers yeah. fans who don't remember, uh, Chris, you did sign a, a PTO with Edmonton. Spent the uh, spent the whole preseason here lighting it up with with the boys and getting the team or the uh, the fans excited. Um, and I'm sure Oilers fans would love to hear why you chose those hated Calgary <laughs> Flames over the Edmonton Oilers. Well, I actually came to Edmonton with, you know, high hopes of hopefully playing in a power play with Connor and, and doing really good things. But as the, as the camp went on, I actually hurt my groin and I was sitting out and uh, Pete, yeah, Shirelli came up to me right at the end and said, uh, listen, we think, you know, we're going to sign you. And I was like, okay. So then he talked to me the next day. He's like, yeah, we're going to sign you. And kind of at that moment, I was talking to my agent um, about possibilities of another op- of another option being in Calgary because during talking with Peter he he wanted me basically to be a mentor to Pooley Arvey which which I was fine doing but when you're when you feel you're a better player at the moment you want to play you don't want to yeah. just sit you know one game play the next sit I thought I could still play at a high level I had a half point a game the year before I thought I could still you know do good things especially for the Oilers where he saw me more in just a, every other game in a mentor role. So that, that being said, if, if that conversation never got brought up, I would have, I would have signed in Edmonton. But at that moment I asked my agent to, you know, keep looking and Calgary was interested in a couple other teams. But the reason I, I did the PTO in Edmonton was because I'm from Alberta. I thought I only had a couple of years left, especially with my hip being the way it was. And I wanted to play close to home where my grandparents and everyone could watch. So Edmonton, uh, the PTO was a no brainer, but it turned out being in Calgary, which, you know, I don't take it back because it worked out for me. I ended up getting a couple more years yeah. of playing in the NHL and in front of my family. And well, hey, you just you gave, gave us, us, you just gave yeah. us another reason to blame Peter Chirelli for something, right? Like <laughs> exactly. Well, he, he also, you know, I had to get him back. No, I'm just kidding. So in Boston, <laughs> he, tr- he traded me from Boston to Chicago. Oh, okay. and uh so yeah i had wow. to get peter back that worked out for you though that worked yeah. out you had a few good years in chicago uh yeah, yeah. i'm kidding um <laughs> yeah as a guy who's not that far removed from you know being a veteran and a veteran free agent did you kind of did you feel for the guys this year who had to sort of navigate the landscape of free agency with a flat cap where i mean like you can still look at the free agent market right now and guys like justin advocator like good guys that went unsigned. Do you kind of feel a little bit for those guys who got squeezed out because of the pandemic? I, I, Oh, sorry. I got a phone call that just came in. Did you see that? <laughs> I, it's a phone no, call. no, we didn't see it. You're all good. The zoom thing. Anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I feel bad for anybody who's not a top 10 free agent actually in free agency or minus the guys, I don't know how Gudis got what he got, but minus a lot of those other guys who are much better players than him. So the top 10 free agents are generally highly sought after guys, say in my year. And then everyone else, you either get the 1 million, one year, one year, 650, or it's a PTO. So that's really hard to go through free agency when you think you're a pretty good player 
where the basic structure of free agency is only set up for about 10 players to do good, where free agency structure in the past prior to 2012 was structured for like a real frenzy where teams were just calling right when it hit noon and they were making panic buys on guys because they didn't really know. Now they have a week leading up and it's really only structured for those top, you know, 10, 12 free agents to take advantage of it. So going into this year, being even more magnified on that, those top guys were going to get, you know, their money, but they weren't going to get their years. And then everyone else besides those top four or five free agents, they were just filtering in again on PTOs where they would have probably got two, three, four year deals. They're now even screwed even more. And a lot of those guys aren't even signed and will no longer be in the league. So I feel bad for any one of those players. I feel bad for a lot of, you know, well, I mean, for a lot of people right now, but if we're talking specifically in the hockey world, you know, the players that are at that level trying to make it to the NHL where that was me as a 22 year old, I needed to show I could play because I wasn't a first round pick. So on different levels, I feel bad for a lot of hockey players at this moment. But yeah, those guys that were supposed to hit a payday, they worked really hard for it. They're either not playing right now or they're on a PTO or on a one year contract and you never know what happens. Yeah. Looking at the actual season itself, Chris, obviously you went through training camps and preseasons and all of that. I want to know how big of a deal is it not having a preseason this year? Because to me, October is always all over the place a little bit while you guys are getting in the rhythm, getting your hands, getting on your timing and all that. But with no preseason, it seems to be a little bit wilder this year than most. Yeah, it's well, you see the inflation and PP numbers and goals against. I mean, I could only imagine how long it takes for basically a goaltender to really see a puck coming at him at a hundred miles and pull on my kids playing hockey. Jackson, <laughs> hold on. Hey, we got to work on those hands, man. Yeah. I got to work on the hands off season. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a hockey fight here. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're, you're going to see the inflated numbers. You're going to see the rise in power plays like the start of any season. And then over time, you're, you're going to see that level off. But it, I mean, I couldn't really imagine a lot of these guys that haven't played since March. Uh, they've taken all this time off. Uh, they haven't been able to really skate the way they've probably wanted to and train the way they wanted to this entire time. And then all of a sudden they have 13 days at a training camp and then they got to go be completely dialed in for a game without any exhibition games. Cause those games, when you're playing against your own team at, you know, in the blue and blue and white games in Edmonton, you're going hard, but you're not given everything because you don't want to hurt your own teammates. And secondly, nothing can really go get you up for the intensity of a real, real NHL game, not even exhibition. So even with exhibition games that there's a crap shoot, but especially now I, I, Really, I couldn't fathom feeling like some of these veteran players, especially that had all this time off and now they got to play. Looking at the Oilers specifically here, we were joking a little bit before we started recording. You know, it's panic time here in Edmonton. You've been a part of obviously winning teams. You're Stanley Cup champion. When a team starts slow like this, kind of what would be going on in the room right now? Like, would there be a sense of panic in the room after a one and three, one and four start or whatever? Or would it, or would there still be sort of, you know, optimism? Like what would kind of be said amongst the guys? I would be pretty sure that by this point, they've had one or two team meetings, something to talk about how they're going to, you know, redirect the season what they can do, mostly private meetings, I'm sure, plus, to, uh, you know, with maybe even management at this point, because they can see 
that you don't have much time to mess around this season. If you're, you know, 56 games, if they lose, you know, if they become six, seven, eight points out of it, another 10, 12 games, that's going to be really hard to make up. So the panic button doesn't need to be sounded, but they need to start, you know, becoming desperate, really desperate here at some point. And also getting together and sounding not like, again, not the panic alarm within, but getting each other together and having an honest conversation, not just guys, you know, one guy walking around the room saying, this is what we got to do, getting an honest conversation. Maybe it's going to hurt guys feelings, but that's, what's going to have to take in order to move forward. You guys do need to figure out your defense and what you're going to do to get the puck into your forwards hands. Cause you know, your forwards aren't your issue. And you know that when you have Connor and Leon, the, the defense is a serious, serious issue. And you got really good defensemen, but you don't have the guys that I don't think it takes to win a championship at this point, but especially the guys that are going to, you have a guy like Darnell nurse and these guys that can defend and some guys that can play offense. But when you look at elite defensemen, it's how they defend and then get the puck to the offensive guys within one pass or one second of, you know, stripping the guy of the puck. I don't see enough of that on your team. And that's what your forwards need are guys that can strip the puck and get it going the other way right away. And it worries me, you know, consistently on a nightly basis, especially against a team like Montreal that four checks, they couldn't get the puck. They, they four checked, turned the puck over and they couldn't make that pass to your forwards that, that critical pass that would outlet them, or they couldn't even strip the big forwards on Montreal from the puck to get them on offense. So there's a lot to worry about for me on that back end. That's what I sounded off on a bit at the start of this season. Uh, and it's hard to address it in these off seasons because cap world's insane. Is part of the problem that they wore those horrendous blue jerseys for the yeah. first two games of the season. <laughs> That's a huge, huge issue. You guys got an unbelievable jersey that just the oh, regular yeah. blue with the orange. It, it's a stunning jersey. The white one too. Great jersey, great pant. And then you wore like, like a practice <laughs> uniform that put like <laughs> someone painted it with orange neon. Just, just that's like, I couldn't be more critical of teams when they have a bad uniform. It's when teams actually go to look good. It gives them a bit of swagger. I would have no swagger wearing that, that dark blue, orangey uniform. Is that a thing? Like do players sit there and be like, Oh man, we got sick uniforms. We're feeling good tonight. Like were yeah. you ever on a team where they rolled out a third Jersey and you were just like, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah, Florida. We had a nice uniform, and I thought when we were in Florida, not the better ones, but it wasn't bad. It's way better than what they have now. Like Florida's uniform now yeah. is not a uniform. When I was there, I liked it. I loved their 90s uniform. It was an unbelievable uniform. But they rolled out this baby blue one in Florida, and I was like, what the heck is that? <laughs> so the, the players definitely love looking good out there in a good uniform. And in Minnesota, I always go to them. That is the worst jersey in hockey. And then you have the North Star. <laughs> which is one of the better uniforms, just go to those colorways. It'll give your team so much more confidence. And guess what? It'll change the culture too, because with a nice Jersey shift, it changes the culture. Well, the ledger, who's got the best ones in your opinion? You guys are going to hate my answer. I, I like, I love the new Calgary flames. Oh one. yeah. Those are sick. The, the retros. They're, they're an unbelievable uniform. Chicago. Um, where else would I go? I think Ottawa's got some nice unis. Ottawa figured it out. Ottawa Ottawa had, for me, one of the worst uniforms prior yeah. to this and logo. And they went back to that old 90s. That is a classic looking uniform too. It's sleek. It's clean. It's nice. I actually like the white one better than the black one, even though the black one's nice too. 
I like the white one and I don't like many white ones, but the new like Colorado setup, most teams, that's the other thing I don't get is you have like, say some teams, it's like Colorado before they have their uniforms with a black pant, black helmet and black gloves. You can see how much more a nice Jersey pops, or even like you might've thought Colorado was an average Jersey before, but now that they got a new pant, new gloves, new helmet, it makes their Jersey look better. I think it's an, like, it's a sick look. I would like more teams to do more at their pant helmet uh, glove combo, which would complement their Jersey. Chris, obviously think- we're uh, sorry. Go ahead. Dan. Yeah. I was just going to say like, Chris, you've been, you've been very vocal, especially since the play in round uh, about the league and how they don't market Connor McDavid enough. Do you think that that Jersey game kind of plays into that? And it's not a, you know, it's not a marketable kit. I don't know. Like where's the, where's the deficiency that you think that the league could fix their marketing issue? Well, the number one thing with Connor is you guys were playing at 10 o'clock Eastern time the other night and I fell asleep during the second period. Um, A lot of the views come out East, a lot of the sponsorships. So stop worrying about putting him on at the same time as the flames or other teams just get him on at a prime time at six o'clock your time, which would be eight o'clock out here. Oh, sorry. You guys got me. Oh yeah, we got you. So put him on at six o'clock, five o'clock, especially right now. There's no fans. Get him on at prime times and get him nationally and, and really promote him, whether it be through billboards. I I've been advocating to get him on, you know, Calvin Klein downtown, you know, billboards, make, make stuff happen, do whatever it takes get him out there and understand that this guy's the NHL. Like we may never see a guy skate like this and handle a puck like this in maybe, I mean, this sounds kind of insane, maybe in our lifetimes, like a guy that can truly skate and stick handle like this. It might, it most likely will happen, but it might not. He's like that fast and talented and that good. Generational, right? Yeah. Yeah. You talked about no fans. Um, I can't imagine what it must be like for a player to try and get motivated and try and get themselves into the game when they've just got that, you know, the fake fan noise pumped into the building. How big of an effect do you think that has on the boys, especially maybe some of the glue guys that don't necessarily get out on the ice as much as the star players? Yeah. Fans are everything and they dictate the ebbs and flows of games. Some guys play better in front of fans. Some guys play better in front of, no fans. And you can really see some of those third and fourth liners. They like to thrive off fans. Some elite players, Patrick Kane, he loves playing in front of fans. Some guys just do it. They handle the pressure of that better than others. For me, the, the no fan experience, it, it takes a lot on you in the sense of staying focused, like fans help you stay focused through games. Cause if a game's close, you can feel the atmosphere when a game's close and there's no fans, sometimes you need someone to slap you to almost be like, Hey, it's one, one in the third period, wake mm-hmm. up here. Um, but that, that would be the biggest thing for me is just that, that part of the fan experience with the player. Yeah. I even think like last night for the Oilers, when they're over seven or whatever on the power play, if that building in Edmonton had 18,000 people, there would be booze. And I think like you, you said, Chris, it would almost be like a slap in the face to like, okay, we're not just disappointing a couple tarps in the stadium and some empty seats, like 18,000 people watching you being pissed off because you turned over the puck on a power play. Like it, it does kind of keep you in check, right? Yeah, it, cha- it, it keeps you in check big time, but and it changes your psyche because you can feel it. Like you can feel the tension. You can feel the tension enough with your coach and your players if you're not playing good enough, but you can really feel it when the fans start to get on you and especially on the power play and power play is enough. Like when like, they're hard as it is to score. 
But when you hear guys booing or people yelling, shoot and shoot, and you know, you have to shoot, but they don't see the same play you do. It changes your mindset and it changes how you play. Yeah. Obviously this is going to be one of the weirdest seasons any of us have ever watched. My question for you is for a team like last night, the Oilers just wrapped up a two game set against Montreal generally don't play them all that much during the season. How long do you think it's going to be before these teams really start developing a hatred of each other since they have to play over and over and over again? We know the Oilers and Flames are going to do it. Battle of Alberta is going to be spicy. But like, what about the other teams that they may not necessarily see as much? It's going to be interesting. I know when I've played in Canadian teams, there's always a different energy playing against Canadian teams. Obviously, Calgary and Edmonton having even more energy yeah. and, and I guess uh, – spotlight put on it but you know when I was playing with Calgary anytime you play Montreal anywhere Vancouver anything there's there's just another level of energy put into those games though no fan experience would be a little bit strange and different obviously everyone's trying to do the best they can to that but it, it those Canadian games I know when I was playing I'm getting a little off topic were always the most exciting I think to be a part of so to gain hatred and all that the game has changed in that aspect you're not going to see a ton of fights or you know greasy hits or plays I don't think anymore I think you're just going to see real you know hard played hockey and um, a little bit of I guess adversities built up through the game but I think if people are still searching for um, that true nineties, early two thousands, mid two thousands, like hatred, hatred, uh, you're going to be searching for a long time. We, uh, we got a little bit of that though, in Detroit Columbus yesterday. I don't know if you saw, but Zach Wierenski and Dylan Larkin going at it when Larkin had given his parents or Wierenski's parents tickets. Did you ever have anything in your career where you found yourself like scrapping with a guy or getting really heated with someone who maybe you were close with off the ice? Yeah, well, me and Setaguchi, we well, we grew up since we were five, six years old, hated each other till we were 14. And then we became best friends at 15, playing together for the Golden Hawks and Lethbridge and the Bantam system. And then every time we played against each other, it was like to prove who was better from Southern <laughs> Alberta, you know, and, we, other, and even though we were best friends, we went at it. And then we played each other in the Western Conference Finals in 2010. And I remember he wouldn't even talk to me those two weeks, nor his coach told him, like Todd McClellan said he's not allowed to talk to me. So that's like, there was like a true animosity between friends there. And again, a, a competition. We never fist fought, but I mean, that it was, it, not much would have stopped me from fighting him. I would have fought. <laughs> uh, I, one of the big sound bites we've gotten, we're throwing you through the gauntlet here of NHL stories early on in the year, but one of the best sound bites it came from Jake Voracek and, and what he said to the reporter on the Zoom call the other day, call the guy a weasel, I mean, in front of everyone. What, <laughs> what did you kind of take away from that? Like, have you ever gotten heated with a reporter? Or should we be surprised if maybe we start seeing more of this? Did Voracek kind of open some sort of floodgate here? I would love to have seen him open this floodgate. I know I would have loved to do this in Chicago. There was one guy that they constantly stay on you. And you, you can see in the media how you can really garner attention on one person you don't necessarily like how they play but it's your job in the media to give fair analysis if they are actually doing something good you have to be fair I have played in Philly and it is generally very very negative very negative attention very negative media so what Jake did I'm in full agreement with what he did if he did he swear and should he be fined for swearing yeah probably if that's in the rule book you can't swear and plus kids are watching 
But as for him going after this reporter, there's a reason he did it. Like for yeah. myself, I remember after every game in Chicago, even whether I played good or not, my family, who's like, I'm not on Twitter, but they are. And they'd be like, hey, what's this guy got against you? Do you know? Why do you do interviews with them? Why do you talk to him? You know? So when this, when you keep hearing this, you know, month after month, year after year, and it's the same guy, you're like, man, I, I, I should say something. But for me, I, I was never Jake Voracek. I would just leave it by the wayside. But there, I mean, you see, what was it, Dan Boyle back in the day, go after Larry Brooks. Oh, guys yeah. that tend to go after certain reporters. Tortorella is always going after reporters. I was going to so, say, Torts is a legend for it. Yeah. So you can see how it happens. And if you're going to dish it out, just like me, if I'm going to dish out my opinion and a player doesn't like it, it's their opinion to dish it back out back at me. Well, and that's, and that's the thing right there, right, Chris? Like if you, if you're criticizing a guy, you, you stand up for your, your criticism. If you believe truly in what you're saying, but do you think that, you know, you knowing guys now and, and younger guys coming up, do you think that we're going to see more personality from these players going forward? Or is this just kind of an aberration and it's going to, it's going to kind of float off and we'll be talking about this in 10 years down the road when somebody else has spouted off at a media guy. I sure hope we see more personality. These players have a lot to give. They have a lot, you know, they're really interesting people. They're, you know, supremely talented athletes. I think a lot of it, I've been, you know, going off forever saying they need to take away the dress code, let players wear what they want. I think that's, that's it's a small step in getting players just to show personality it's not going to open the floodgates like the NBA has. And I'm not saying we have to do what the NBA does, but just let the players take small steps in actually bringing out who they are as people. And that way, the fashion way of letting them walk in, it's also another uh, revenue stream for the players, which right now with the tax or with the, with the escrow they've paid over the years, it's another revenue stream to help the players, which in the end will help grow the league. So I think that's a small way to help getting character and, and understanding the players taking that dress code away it should not be there bringing it back to the oilers for a second obviously we're big fans of your instagram story you've been talking a lot about connor and the fact that he's not getting a lot of calls he gets hooked slashed held you name it on basically a shift by shift basis the word that we always get is that you can't call him on everything do you agree with that or is this just something that it, it doesn't make any sense how many calls are missed against this guy well, why not? Why can't you call them on everything? If it's a penalty, it's a penalty. There's a rule book. And for the for what my argument is, is who sells tickets? Is it the A players, the B players, the C or D, right? It's yeah. the A. And, and Connor's not an A, he's an A plus. Everyone, there's an, then there's McKinnon and then there's everyone else right now. Crosby's still an A. So why are we catering to the B, C and D players? Because if they can't keep up with the A players, so why, if you're a player like Connor, if you've got immense talent and you're immensely better than a guy, like anyone can technically defend. If you're taught to defend, not everyone can play offense, right? That's why you pay offensive guys so much more. So if you can defend and you're defending Connor and he beats you clean one-on-one, why are you allowed as a last ditch effort to slash his stick or hands? I know, I know the hands have kind of been taken away, but still, why can you slash his stick to deter his stick from shooting the puck? That's a slash. In the book, rule book, it's a slash. And it's, and it's a goal-scoring attempt. So it should be called a penalty. And that gets happened to Connor like 30 times a game. They either slash his hands or a stick or somewhere near that to deter him from shooting. You've seen actually the goals went up when they took slashing off the hands away because now they could get their shots open more. And I'm going to say a little bit about basketball again. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we need to be basketball for the fouls. 
But say in basketball, if LeBron James beats someone one-on-one and he's got a lane to the hoop, if a guy grabs his arm or slashes his arm, he goes to the free throw, free throw line, right? So it's the same in hockey. Why should, if Connor McDavid beats someone and he has a free lane to this net, why should he get whacked and tripped and everything without no calls? It's just, it makes no sense, whatever. And if you're going to sell the game going forward to another level, you're going to have to promote stars because the, the whole new world's about content and stars create content, not the other, everyone else. I was not a guy who created consistent content. Patrick Kane was. So sell him. Yeah, I, th- I think you're bang on with that. Uh, the last one I had for you, you're moving into a bit of an analyst role now. Uh, you're on Sportsnet, correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah next I, time. Was that something during your career you kind of always had in your mind that you always wanted to eventually get to that role? Or was it something that you, you sort of developed an interest in maybe towards the end? Uh, I remember kind of throughout my career, family members would always say, hey, you should try media after you're done. But that was just, you know, off the cuff. More so, it kind of got the ball rolling in my last year when I hurt my hip in Calgary, Ryan Leslie said, Hey, we should get you going in media uh, when you're done. So when I was coming back from Russia, I was just sitting at home and he asked me to do some games for Calgary and Sportsnet said they liked kind of what they saw during those games. And they asked me to come back. And at this moment, I, you know, I just kind of, I go once a week and do some TV now and started working with Sportsnet radio as well. So it kind of all organically morphed after, you know, Ryan, brought me on the on the rate or on the tv last question for me from your analyst perspective i know we're early days in the new season but who are you liking so far oh <laughs> i like a loaded one. yeah i i like washington i like them because peter laviolette always finds a way to get his teams to the stanley cup playoffs early on in his tenure um how can you not like colorado I mean, Colorado and Tampa Bay are my finalist picks. I picked Tampa Bay to win the cup again. Would I be shocked if Washington goes and plays Colorado instead? No, I'm not sold on Vegas like other people are. I'd have them sixth or seventh. I still think they can win. Um, I would put St. Louis now ahead of Vegas. Interesting stuff. uh, Yeah, I was just going to say thanks very much for, for taking some time with us, Chris, and and uh, making yourself available. People want to follow you on social media. I know they can follow at Stigalicious on Instagram. (laughs) And uh, anywhere else you want want people to be able to check you out at? That's only where I'm at. That's all where I'm at. So if you want to come see me spout (laughs) off, come around. Keep the the McDavid stories coming. Yeah, keep the McDavid. Yeah, I I said if his agent wants to reach out to me, I'll sell the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris, appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the rest of the season. Yeah, take care, guys. All right, before we move on here, that interview was brought to you by Cornerstone Insurance. Cornerstoneins.ca is where you can find them. They got a nice button up there if you need a quote as well. Official insurance broker of Oilers Nation. You love it. Edmonton's own Cornerstone Insurance Brokers. There you have it. Conversation with the Stanley Cup champion. 643 NHL games, 149 goals, 209 assists. Christopher Stieg, he knows what he's talking about. Some of those goals could have been ours. Some of those goals could have been ours. And props goes to Nation Dan for asking why he signed a PTO in Edmonton, but did not take it. He went to Calgary. I love that he was coming into the podcast expecting us to like just come guns a-blazing at him with the, with the hot questions. 
I, I do also both like and hate that he gave me another reason to just detest Peter Shirelli, you know? Just I like another it's on reason brand, on though. top of a very sizable pile already. It's uh, on brand. We've heard it with we've heard it with who now? Um who were the PTOs that we've heard in the past where it was like who was the guy that had the shoulder injury that, that made him miss out of basically yeah, everybody in this yeah. organization. Yeah. Like it's just it's such a Peter Shirelli just shoots himself in the foot with all of these like these weird negotiations and weird offers. It was just, yeah, it was, it's, it's exciting when a guy like Prestige will come on a podcast like ours and like, who are we to have him break that kind of news to us? But, uh, number second or number two second podcast two in, in India. All of come India. On now. There you go. That's who we are. But and uh, that's but why yeah, our, great interview. that's why our friends at tourism Jasper support everything we do. This January, celebrate winter safely in a pristine mountain wonderland of Jasper, Alberta. On January 15th to 31st, get incredible deals on COVID-friendly versions of all your favorite winter activities. Celebrate the spirit of winter with glowing light installations throughout the town, more intimate adventure options, unforgettable skiing, and multi-day stays in a cabin of your very own. Get outdoors and make some memories with members of your household. To get more details, learn it all at Jasper dot travel forward slash january that's jasper dot travel forward slash january as if jasper needed to get any more beautiful let's be honest then to have you there dad well exactly me and my cohort you and your cohorts in your household you you guys would look great doing some snowshoeing or something i think yeah it's uh, what a what an amazing town what an amazing little uh, promotion we get to have there um I want to talk about somebody that's coming to the lineup this week. Another lineup change that's happening tonight. Uh, Tyler Ennis back in the lineup. I want to talk about Devin Shore, though, quickly. He scored his first goal as an Oiler the other day. He's looking all right, filling in for Jujar. I know everybody on this podcast is a Jujar Kara guy. However, Devin Shore is kind of getting the job done. Yeah, Rick, I'm going to start with you. Devin Shore. Can't complain, man. Uh he, we needed someone to come out and do kind of the things he's doing. He's getting it done. Um, it's not really a position that's going to bring up too much conversation. So uh, I think at the end of the day, if you get him a, a check mark beside his name, he he can uh, he knows he had a good night. So I'll give him a check mark for now. He's doing exactly what we need, and yeah, just keep it up. Dan, yeah, there's a guy that you know we talk about fourth line and grinder guys needing the crowd to give them energy. Shore just needs the fact that he may not have a job tomorrow. Uh, to give him that energy and that excitement. And, and that fourth line, I think, was one of our best lines against Toronto, for not only for the fact that they were able to shut down some pretty good players in Toronto, but then they were also giving us the most five-on-five chances of any line in the, in the team for the game. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was, it's, it's just another, we, we talked about it in the offseason, it's just another, like we said, check mark for Ken Holland um, to go out and find a guy like Shore last-minute contract offer, and, and here he is doing the right things for us in spot duty. I think the thing I like about Devin Shore is when he, he's quietly going about his business. He's going out there, he's killing penalties, he scored his first goal with the Oilers the other day, he's, he's mostly effective on the face-offs, he's killing penalties, he's doing what you need him to do, and it's a bargain contract. And in terms, If we're talking about a fourth-liner, you actually notice that he's doing something positive, I think that you're at a good spot. Tyler, would you agree? Yeah, I think so. He he's been good. I think, you know, that first game he kind of played was not great, but he's looked better in every game as it goes on, which is kind of what you want to see from a guy like that, right? Like as long as he's 
improving, showing he's getting more comfortable and becoming more effective. Uh, the biggest problem for me is that I can never remember his first name. Like, I what do you think it is? Drew Shore, Kevin? Nick Shore, Devin Shore, Eddie Shore, Eddie. Like the Drew, Nick, and Devin Shore thing, I cannot get it. I forget his name at the start of every day. I finally learn it by the end. I go, all right, it's Devin Shore. Then I wake up the next morning and I go, fuck, what is that Shore guy's name? I don't know why I can't remember mm-hmm. it. Um, but there have been too many Shores in NHL history, and that's the point I'm making here. Uh, but yeah, he's been fine. He's basically, like, again, I brought up Juja earlier. If he hustles and skates hard and plays physical, he's a good NHL player. Kara doesn't bring that enough. Drew Shore has come into the lineup, and he's been, you know, pretty physical. He skates hard, forces some turnovers, and gives you good bottom six minutes. He's taken that spot from Jujar Kara. He's earned it. Changing gears a little bit before we get to our hot and cold performers. I want to talk about another guy who seems to be improving as the season is going along. Still very early. We're only five games in, but I want to talk about Rick's boy. Yes, the pulley, Arvey. We talked about Zach Cassian looking uncomfortable right now beside Connor McDavid. And while Dan, I agree with Dan, where the, there's no way that the plan is to get Jesse up there this quickly, eventually a move might have to be made. Rick, I want to start with you. What do you think about Yes' this game so far? I think it's continually gotten a little bit better. Um, exactly what you wanted. The guy who's come back from a questionable stint with you, taking a year off over in Europe at home and, and come back for a 2.0 version of himself. Uh, yeah, I like the uh, adding the minutes with Connor um, every game, whether it be you know, two or three, whatever. Uh, I'm not sure if you really want to have him going up against the number one defensive lines, but having that dry saddle Yamamoto line be so good, it really makes it tougher for our teams to uh, focus in on just one line. So it might not be as bad as some would think. Uh, however, I'd still like to see him get some more constant minutes with the puck on his stick. I uh, like it really like the way he skates and the way he's using his body out there. I think he could be used a little bit better when it comes to puck position. And he's got to get a little more on his shot right now. Um, he's whiffed on a couple on a couple inside the blue line, and, and we know that he's got something there. So there's still lots of room to grow in his game, but I think he's uh, it's been on a pretty progressive scale so far, and they should keep adding minutes with Connor. Uh, I wouldn't quite put him uh, up on that first line quite yet, though. Right now, through five games, Jesse got his first assist against Toronto. He's minus four, two pims. But the thing I like about him, five games, 12 shots. He is out there firing the biscuit, even though he has whipped on some. That stick, though, I got to tell you, that twig's 12 feet. I can't remember which game it was either. A couple games ago, he doubled up at the second zone entry guy in our team, too. I think he had 11 or 12, while Connor had six or something like that. And I, I, I recommend it. Must have been the, it must have been the second Vancouver game. That was the last time we actually had a a decent flow for off or second yeah second bank over game with a decent flow for offense but yeah he was carrying the puck in a lot so I think that if you can get him and Connor going there's something there in the in the long run I think that third line's actually poised to score they haven't done it yet but I don't like it's interesting to me to see how down people are on Kyle Turris already even though it's only been five games if we're talking about Jesse Pooley right now Tyler what were we going to say uh, yeah, I was just going to say, he's adapting, it seems like, really well to the NHL game right now. And I want to give, you know, some stick taps to Dave Tippett here, because I think Tippett's been handling this beautifully. Start him on the third line, and, you know, it's not like after two good games, he went and said, all right, yes, is back on the top line, here we go, because then you're just putting him in a spot where he can disappoint. And I love how Dave Tippett is slowly giving him more responsibility, right? He's slowly getting a little bit more time with the top power play unit, slowly getting a few more shifts with Connor McDavid. And I think that's the right way to do it. 
just slowly build up that confidence. And eventually it'll get to a point where we're all sitting here going, hey, it's a no brainer for Yessi to get a look on that top line, but really wait till it's almost overdue. But he's not going to the complete opposite end of the spectrum where he's not giving Yessi any sort of reward for his good play. So I think Tippett's playing this perfectly. Well, to me, that's, it's, it's interesting you brought that up because if you rewind the clock to his first stint in Edmonton, be it with Todd McClellan or Hitch thereafter, if Jesse made a mistake, he was stapled to the bench. And Dave yeah. Tippett is not doing that. He is not a perfect hockey player, but he's getting his at-bats in and he's slowly adapting to the NHL game. He's made a couple of mistakes, but Dave Tippett is throwing him right back over the boards, and I think that's huge. Rick, would you agree with that? 100%. McClellan was definitely not a guy who was great with rookies. Um, and I know for a fact that he wasn't great with Yessa. He didn't really talk to him all that much. And you need a coach who wants to uh, communicate with you, even if it's a little bit tougher because there's a bit of a, a barrier when it comes to language. But I think Yessa did the, the right thing when he was gone. He, he really worked on his English, showed uh, the entire NHL, for that matter, that he wanted to be here, that he was serious. And and now he's starting to see the uh, fruits of his labor and, and hopefully it can only get better. Dan, finish us off on uh, just clear. I'm glad you said it, Rick, because I think that that's something that we're kind of losing just because he's, you know, we want him to perform well on the ice and he has been. Uh, but yeah, off the ice, for him to have learned English as well as he has, like it's, it has, as, as I learned English myself. Um, it's a noticeable difference. It's noticeable. And it's what it does is it earns him a little bit of more of a leash when it comes to the media, I think. And so he's not going to be, they're not going to be picking him apart as much as they did in the previous stints, which is still acceptable. Like it's still, you know, you still want to see them criticize him, but for him, it's going to be a better thing because he doesn't have to worry about, you know, going into the off ice, having a good game, going off the ice and sounding like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, interviewing with Gene or whatever. I think he still has a bit of a, he gets nervous in front of the cameras, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of pressure at that point. So I remember like when he was here before, um, when he would talk on the camera, it was not the same way that he had talked to somebody he, he felt comfortable with, right? Um, so when I saw it, I, you know, I was the kid, it's not exactly what his English level is, but it's definitely better than it was, which is obviously a, a step in the right direction. So we, yeah, he, it just he, speaks to his commitment a lot better. Oh, 100%. It, it speaks does. to his commitment and for he had coming to, back. And he had to do part of that exactly. Himself. He had to mentally exactly. go over it and say, you know what? I want to be there. These are little things I'm going to have to work on. Uh, it's not going to come as easy as it used to. I'm at a new level with, you know, grown-ass men out there, and I'm going to have to pick up my game. And I think he's done everything like that. And from what I hear, he's in, in, in great shape, and he's an enormous body and perfect. Let's go. He's also got that pregame drip going on right now. Oh, he's always looking fire in those outfits. Those Europeans have style. One, and to Versteeg's point, too, about getting rid of the dress code, did the Oilers get rid of their dress code? Is that a new development? I love it. No, that was like a practice yeah, or something like that. So you were able to do that anyways. It's like yeah. game time. You got a suit and a boot. I don't know. I, I wonder if the Oilers are wearing suits, actually. Because, I mean, like, who's been in there to film them? We don't know. And who cares? Sure. And also, yeah, who I cares? Wanna see, I want to see Connor roll into Rogers' plays wearing tearaways and fucking basketball them off as he goes on to the ice. <laughs> yeah, basketball them off and all his gear is underneath. He's been wearing exactly. the equipment all day. He's been ready all day. Connor, <laughs> Time to get your buttons ready. We are wrapping things up with the Epcor Hot and Cold Performers of the Week. What we're doing for Epcor is we're just helping them raise a little bit of awareness. Because if you didn't know, people are skating on stormwater ponds and they are not the same as a normal pond. 
Don't put yourself or your family at risk this winter. It's important to know that stormwater facilities are not safe for any type of recreation, including skating. Learn why this is important at epcor.com forward slash winter safety. Epcor.com forward slash winter safety. As we do every week, we start with our veggies and we look at the downside from the past seven days of our lives. Mr. Nation Dan, you are at the top of my screen right now. I'm going to start with you, your Epcor cold performer of the week. This one's, uh, I don't like to rag on specific media members, so I'll just say everybody in general, but it's, it's, uh, it was noticeable during the national broadcast there on Wednesday night. Uh, it comes up again in, in the weekend games as well. It's the, the fact that these broadcasters don't want to anoint Connor McDavid the best player in the league right now. He just is. And it's flat out, plain and simple. If you're, if your franchises, or if you're worried about upsetting another team's fan base, they, you know, like get over it. If they're that fragile that they're, that they're going to stop listening to you because you say that Connor McDavid is the best player in the league, it like you can point to the homework and say that it's okay. So I just, it's broadcasters that are afraid to anoint Connor McDavid, the best player in the league. You're my cold performer of the week. I'm upset. Dan is upset. Rick, your Epcor cold performer of the week. Other than this guy working the jackhammer upstairs. Um, <laughs> the dragon. Yeah, yeah. I got to say, man, one of the biggest fears in hockey right now is, is those hit from, hits from behind, right? So you had a bad one from Gallagher on Nurse yep. the other day. And yep. he ran across the entire ice, went for him, hit him square in the numbers, uh, in a far more dangerous spot than what Nurse did to him the previous night or two nights ago or whatever the hell it was. Uh, he was six feet off, off away from the board, man. That's where, exactly where you go head first and, and really do some back damage. The, the Department of Player Safety has to get off their fucking hands and start making some calls on this because they're, they're getting way better when it comes to headshots. Uh, they need to take this as seriously. So until they do, uh, they should definitely be uh, a cold performers of the week. That's a joke. That's an absolute joke is what it is. I agree with Rick 100%. That, yeah. like, I tweeted out the, the video from that because there was no call. There was no fine. There was nothing from NHL player safety. I'm watching it again as I speak. Nurse is at the bottom of the circle. Like Rick said, probably about six feet from the boards. And Gallagher levels him right into the numbers. Had it gone just a little bit of bad luck, that is a very, very scary play, and it's something that there's there's no reason for it to be in. This is why this is why you can't trust the Department of Player Safety. Mm-hmm. You just can't. You have to leave it up to the players. You have to leave fighting in the game. Somebody's going to ask Brendan Gallagher to answer the bell. I hope it's Darnell Nurse. I don't think Gallagher accepts that. But I somebody has to make him answer the bell for that instead of trusting the Department of Player Safety. Another chance for Cassian to go and do something, and he chose not well, to. Yeah, Anybody could have grabbed him. You don't have to grab him right now. Yeah, when he's on I the guess. ice next, when he's on the ice next, you line up next to him, and you do exactly to him what you did to, uh, to Turtle down south right there. You grab him, you start feeding him. You don't give him the option for here. Tyler, your Epcor cold performer of the week. You guys know me. You know I got a soft spot for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And this whole situation right now between John Tortorella... You love three and a half minutes of Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like, this whole situation, man, and I think there are a lot of guilty parties here. The biggest one is Dubois. You're 22 years old. (laughs) You don't like when a coach yells at you, even though you're a professional athlete. You are being paid handsomely, and yet you're sitting there and you're you're asking for a trade. You're saying, oh, I want to go... I want a bigger stage. Man... You can become an unrestricted free agent at 27. 
If you want your bigger stage, take it when you're 27. Don't be doing this whole, I want to trade now because my coach is mean to me and, and there aren't enough cameras in Columbus looking at me. Like, it's just bullshit. And to watch the effort he put forth there against Tampa Bay, that was embarrassing, man. If one of the guys on my beer league team put forward that kind of effort in a 10:45 game in Collingwood, I'd be sitting on the bench looking at the guys being like, what the fuck is he doing out there? So Dubois so, yeah. is just a joke. Tortorella, though, you need to play him because you need to get the trade value up. Like, you need to see it if you're torts. Like, get him out there a few times in the third period. Message would have been sent, and this maybe wouldn't have been as big of a story, but this is just an ugly situation. So uh, the situation in Columbus gets my cold performer of the week. Are you thrilled? I'm not. So just really quickly, Tyler, if somebody's listening to this right now and they didn't know what happened last night, so I only watched a couple of I, – I watched his last shift where he just kind of mailed it in and then he was stapled to the bench. What – what happened in that three and a half minutes? Well, basically his last shift was 45 seconds and he maybe took two hard strides in the whole shift. Then he lost a puck battle where he kind of just stood there with one hand on his stick and like let Tyler Johnson take the puck. And it's been a problem all year in Columbus. Like Dubois' effort was called into question early in the game against the Detroit Red Wings. He went on and scored the game-winning goal and it was kind of like, okay, maybe this is water under the bridge and they can get through this year together. But then he shows up again and doesn't try against Tampa Bay. And Dubois came out in the media today and kind of said, like, I need to be better. And he took took it on himself a little bit, which is good. But also, like, it's pretty clear you're being a piss baby. That's it. There it is. Pierre-Luc Dubois. Interesting. Um, just to wrap this up, my app. You, you didn't even give a button. Yeah, I did. I said this one. Are you thrilled? You I'm oh, not. Okay. Uh, my Epcor Cold Performer of the Week, this one's just laying here for me. I'm going to say the Edmonton Oilers power play. There are better days ahead. I think we all can agree on that. There are better days ahead. However, right now, 14.3% as we record this on a Friday afternoon, that is not good enough. They had seven power play opportunities a couple of games ago, whiffed on all of them, and that would have made a huge difference in that 3-1 loss against Montreal. The Edmonton Oilers power play for right now. Is my F core cold performer of the week? They are just fucking ass right now. That's not even uh, mm-hmm. actually that one works. That wasn't even the one I was going to press though. I meant to press this one. <laughs> Both happy coincidence. Acceptable. Flipping the ledger, we are going to start with my friend Tyler and his F core hot performer of the week. Give us a little sunshine, buddy. I'm giving it to myself and my pregame podcast bet of the game. After all of you guys sat there for the last year and a half and did your little fade your M Chuck shtick. I'm 4-1 and one to start the year. I've nailed my last four pregame podcast bets of the game. You can download it on Apple, Spotify, or directly to your device on OilersNation.com every single game day. My pregame podcast bet of the game gets my hot performer of the week. They've done studies, you know, 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> that doesn't Hell make yeah. sense. Hell yeah, what... <laughs> What's your uh, pregame better than the game for tonight's game, Friday against Toronto? Well, I usually don't like giving it out because I want people to listen to the podcast. But tonight, I'm going Connor McDavid over one and a half points against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Pays plus 120 with an honorable mention. This isn't official, but it's just my secondary bet. The Oilers to score more than two and a half goals tonight is paying minus 123. That's a decent bet for me. I like it. Mr. Nation Dan, your Epcor hot performer of the week. Well, it's just it's it's something that if you're if you're able to, I encourage you to not sleep on the rest of hockey these days, uh, because what we're seeing in Colorado with Nathan McKinnon 
is uh, is something special. And I'm looking right now at D at DFO Hockey on Twitter uh, account you. of his highlight there yesterday. Doing some great work over there. In a losing game. In a losing, in a losing game. game. I know. It but, fucked up my can't miss parlay, by the way. Go no, ahead, but, but here's the thing. And, and it's just, you know, I don't want it to get lost because this Canadian division is a lot of fun. It's It's been a lot of fun to be able to watch these rivalries kind of build up. But don't lose sleep on the fact that, or don't go to sleep on the fact that, that there's some great players out there. We're in a really unique time in hockey. Um, I can't think of the last time that we've had this much high level talent um, in the league at the same time. And, you know, COVID has ruined our ability to see McDavid versus McKinnon this year um, or Drysaddle versus McKinnon kind of battle. We'll get there in the final. Only live. But absolutely, absolutely. I encourage people to encourage people to go out and watch um, more hockey that they can that, that, are, that aren't Oilers games. But Nathan McKinnon is my hot corner of the week. The big guy is smoking hot. That's a good one. That uh, goal, Rantanen cleaned up the garbage on it, but Nathan McKinnon just walked the entire Kings team last night. Again, though, fucking lost. My campus Come on, ruined because the Avalanche lost. That was a sure thing, man. That was a sure thing. That's why I called it my campus parlay, but again, they fucked it. Uh, Rick, your F-Core hot performer of the week. Well, it's not all doom and gloom for us right now. Um, I think one guy, uh, he shows up every game and everybody says his name after every game and that's Yamamoto. Uh, yeah, if there's one good thing we can, uh, we can sit back and enjoy right now is that I think Yam is pretty much doing exactly what we expected after watching him last year. And it's, uh, no reason to think that he's not going to continue. And, uh, him doing that will only make it easier for Connor and Leon to get to their job and Nude start doing his and we'll get out of this funk here soon. So Yam. He's definitely my hot performer of the week. Put some respect on my name. Five games played so far. Kaylor Yamamoto has two goals, two assists for four points to go along with eight shots. The guy's so fucking good, he doesn't even need to shoot on net to get goals as he did against Toronto. Wrapping things up, my Epcor hot performer of the week, Nation Dan. I'm going to say, Nation Dan, you're my hot performer of the week. I saw you on City News talking about the... Petition you set up to rename the high level bridge the Joey Moss Bridge. So I'm just going to let you wrap up the podcast by giving everybody a plug on this petition. Yeah. So if you head over to OilersNation.com, it was a couple of days ago, but uh, wrote an article there just kind of explaining the idea. It's, you know, I know some people haven't agreed with it, and that's okay. Uh, it was just, again, another idea to try and create uh, awareness for what Joey Moss meant to not only the Oilers and not only the Edmonton football team but I think the city of Edmonton as a whole. So uh, yeah, you watch CTV news tonight or, you know, check our feed and we'll be retweeting that again. Uh, they're doing a little piece on it as well. I think it's just, uh, it's, it's been fun to, to watch all the different ideas that are coming out to, to try and honor a man who was uh, very special to every Edmontonian and, and Canadians in general. Yeah! And with that, I'm going to wind down episode 121 of the podcast. Thank you to Sherwood Ford, Skip the Dishes, Tourism Jap- Jasper, and Epcor for making it all possible. I also want to ask you once again to subscribe and leave your reviews on the podcast. If, if they're on Apple, I'll read basically anything. The last one I'm looking at right now says Bag Milk is Ron Burgundy, and I am. I will read whatever you say, be it positive or negative. We just want your reviews on the podcast. Tell a friend, tell a cousin, tell an auntie, coworker, whoever's around you. Yell it out your window. Oilers Nation Radio is a wrap. Have a good weekend, everybody. Shout out, Damien. Best wishes. Thanks for listening to Oilers Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. 
Make sure to follow us on all of our social media to stay up to date and never miss a podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.